Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Lena. So we're going to talk about promotion first, right? Yes. Mark? Promotion? Yeah, yeah. So we're doing a promotion. All right. (laughs) Growing up, trying to get people to listen to us and giving stuff away. So how do you get entered, Matt? Like things, share things, comment on things, rate things. Yep. The big one is rate. That you tag us though. Some of you have privacy settings that won't allow us to see that you've actually shared anything. So tag Faith and Fable and then share How do you tag it? You do the at symbol and you type in Faith and Fable. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And you're also uh, on Facebook? You're uh, Mm -hmm. you're sharing the wrong thing. Don't share the memes. Oh, no. Share the episode. The the episode is what matters exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The memes are just bonus we just put those out there but yeah the episode it's the it's the post on a tuesday morning or a friday morning that has the link to the episode that's what you want to share and that's what gets entered in yeah. for the promotion and you're gonna win things coffee cup faith and fable coffee cup yeah faith and fable mug. it's pretty cool Some one. books yeah uh-huh. and not just books they're good books good books very good yeah. we one of them is books. over a thousand pages Dang. oh my gosh damn it's a good doorstop I would hope they wouldn't want to use that. I know who, yeah, who it is. I mean. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do an episode here. It's going to be uh, real fun. It will be one of the controversial ones. Yeah. So we need to caveat Why? this, that all not all statements express the opinions and thoughts and <laughs> themes of everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so this is uh, yeah. this was originally entitled Leaders Watch Over Your Heart, but we're going to entitle this a sanctified rant because that's really what this is. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I'm going to be doing it. So this is going to be, this is all you right here. <laughs> yep. You you wrote this. Okay, just jumping ready to go. In the wee hours of the morning one night and. I got mad. The mor- wee hours of the morning one night. That didn't uh, make any sense. Yeah, it does. Really? Well, it's still night. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, okay. okay. But anyways, <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> you want me ranting over He's that now? He's risking them all worked up over here. What yeah. is a sandwich? <laughs> it's a sandwich. All right, so uh, what, are, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts here? All right, here? so I sent you that email or text or something. Um, it It's just been a point of great frustration for me. Um, uh, so many pastors and leaders in the church who fall away. Uh, they end up abandoning godly living. They abandon sound doctrine. Um, and it just, my mind just started running with this. And I thought, you know, I'm, I, I think it's worth talking about because um, we are all prone to it. And, and the whole idea of the celebrity pastor. So all the way back in 2014, D.A. Carson uh, wrote an article on the Gospel Coalition website about changes that were going on among the council members. And I've never been a real big fan of the Gospel Coalition personally. Um, Maybe one day I can explain that more fully. But the bottom line for it is that they they started out wanting it to be all about the gospel, but it rapidly has 
uh, grown into something bigger than that. And, and yet they also have certain things that they won't uh, talk about. And so I've never been a real big fan of it. I've had some concerns over some of the people who sit at, in leadership, um, men like Tim Keller and his views on uh, yeah. Genesis is very, it's, it's very, very troubling for me. Um, and all of that to say is that he talked about some council members that were going to be stepping down, three specifically. He talked about, and I never get this guy's name right, but Tuli, Tulian to say that? Chivijan. Yeah, great. Um, it's a good Armenian name, I know that. Uh, but not Armenian, Armenian. Armenian. Um, but him? C.J. Mahaney and Joshua Harris, those three were stepping away. Um, and they were, again, various reasons why they were pulling out, but they, they pulled out. And what's very frustrating for me, um, and more than frustrating, it's actually alarming, is to watch the trajectory of all three of those men over the last uh, few years. Uh, one thing that we have to always remember is that the public face of things is almost never the real face. And that's a, a lesson I learned because I was part of a very large church in Southern California with John MacArthur. And I was on staff there. And, and you know, I know I, I, because of where I sat and what the kind of work I did there, I knew a lot of things. And I so I always knew all of what was going on or almost all of what was mm -hmm. going on. And you just realize that not always is everything understood by people. And you start to see that there is with any group, a public face. We even in our little church, yeah. I mean, there are things that we'll, we'll tell the church, but there's things they, they don't need to know about, or it would just be confusing the issue. So I'm not saying that's necessarily an evil thing. It's just a reality. But people believe that what they see or what they hear in the public statement is all. And I remember when I saw these three men stepping away, I, I was wondering, there's something going on there. Why are these men uh, stepping down? Uh, Tulian was pretty easy because he was really starting to create some problems with his uh, doctrine. But anytime you see it uh, shake up in leadership, you should always ask, what's going on? Uh, why is this? And if it's a really good organization, you're going to get the key points that need to be said told to you. Um, but the more vague they become, the more questions in your mind. You should just keep. It should just get tucked away in your mind and say, you know, there's more going on here. Don't know what it is. It doesn't need to be evil, but there's probably more going on than we know. And so all of that to say, I was just perusing the various things I read every day. And I saw the uh, post by Joshua Harris, where he said, I think it was on Instagram, uh, Joshua Harris announced that he and his wife were separating. And I just said, are you kidding me? Are, are you kidding me? Now, he had left his pastorate. He was the senior pastor of uh, Covenant Life Church uh, in Maryland. Uh, I've attended that. My wife attended that. Um, and I've read a couple of his books. And and now I know that he had resigned from there so he could go to seminary, which I thought was actually a good idea. I, I didn't really like the seminary he chose, but who cares? Uh, most people know him, though, through his book, uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. 
And and one of the things he's done recently is recanted from all of that. And I've read more articles about how that book wounded people. I'm like, oh, shut up. It didn't wound you. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, but now I'm ranting. It, it didn't wound you. Um, and, and no, it didn't put you into an unhealthy marriage. And no, it didn't. Those were all you. I, don't you dare blame a book. And the book itself was not a bad book. I didn't care for certain aspects of it. I liked the courtship model, um, but I don't. I didn't necessarily agree with all of the things he was saying. But it was not an evil book. But now, uh, because of the way society has changed and the the passions yeah. of people have changed, all of a sudden, magically, I'm going to recant of that. Well, there's more going on than that, and I didn't know it. Uh, then I find out he's become a business consultant and he's now out there trying to help you get your voice out there in your business um, but then he posts this specific statement on Instagram he said in recent years some significant changes have taken place in both of us him and his wife it is with now just listen to what he says it is with sincere love for one another and understanding of our unique story as a couple that we are moving forward with this decision to separate. We hope to create a generous and supportive future for each other and for our three amazing children in the years ahead. Thank you for your understanding and for respecting our privacy during a difficult time. What the that, frick? That, that, I'm, I'm just going to be really blunt. That's just asinine. That's a really good word, asinine. Oh yeah, that's, um, that's what I felt when I heard that. So somehow, separating one another, stop laughing. <laughs> separating from one another, a, a couple, is, is, is based off of a sincere love. Theologically, that's just not false. Possible. It's a lie. He's trying to paint a pretty picture about it with he's this trying statement. To, he's Disgusting. painting this as just, this is one of those journeys of life that we yeah. all have to go through, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's garbage. Um, and that somehow their unique story is different than all Joe over here. And, and in fact, let me be really brutal. His story is so unique that it's different than the one that the countless people that come in the life church who went through unbiblical divorces and separations, they were disciplined for this. Oh, yeah. And he would have been part and parcel of those disciplines. But his is unique, mm -hmm. and it's all built mm -hmm. out of sincere love. And then he has the gall to say, look, don't forget, respect our privacy. The sad thing about that is you don't get to respect yeah. the privacy. You're a public person having written and preached and spoken publicly. And, and you are a Christian. You are within the body of Christ. And, and there's no right to privacy in that sense. This is sin issues. And, and it was just incredibly outlandish what he was saying there. Now, listen to that. And here, uh, here's an older quote from him. He says, true love. So now we're hearing his sense of love back then. True love isn't expressed in passionately whispered words or an intimate kiss or a, an embrace before two people are married. Love is expressed in self-control, patience, even words left unsaid. And I'm like, yeah, until something comes up and we decide it's loving mm. to go our separate ways. And, and that's a hypocrisy of this. You either believe those words or you, more importantly, you believe the Bible and you buy into, this is what the Bible calls me to be as a husband and as a wife, and you endure and persevere and work through those issues, or you claim something else, which is a sincere love, so we're going to separate. Or here's another thing he wrote. 
Every relationship for a Christian is an opportunity to love, an, to love another person like God has loved us, to lay down our desires, and to do what's in his or her best interest, to care for him or her, even when there's nothing in it for, our, for, our, for us. Again, these are good words, but they're devoid of any value now. That, that, that means nothing to say we are to love our wife as Christ loves the church. That's, that's the command. And, and, and God has never abandoned us and will never abandon us and would never say it's, a, an, it's an act of sincere love that we separate. The, the whole hope of our salvation is built upon the fact that his love is a covenant-keeping love. And, and so I looked at this, and I, I just shook my head, and then I, I did a quick search. And one prominent place called the Friendly Atheist, they're filled with glee over this uh, because, once again, it— it proves the hypocrisy of the Christian faith. Now, along with, so that's the first person that stepped away from the uh, Gospel Coalition, C.J. Mahaney. Um, he's had all sorts of problems over the last several years. I don't want to get into all that because his is more hard to really parse and figure out what's true and what's not. But there are some very real questions that exist with him in his time with uh, Sovereign Grace Ministries and the church Joshua ended up pastoring that was first pastored by uh, C. Jim Mahaney, Covenant Life Church. Um, now, again, this one is complex, and I don't think we can know it all. And so I'm, 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 I'm honestly content to leave that one in God's hand. But, but the problems were such that when he was starting to come under strong scrutiny and challenges and people started to investigate these claims against him— he then left uh, Covenant Life Church, and he joined up with Mark Dever. And I remember when I heard him announce, look, I've left Covenant Life Church. Pray for me. I've now uh, joined in membership with Mark Dever and Capitol Hills Baptist Church. I'm like, how? I knew for a fact that what C.J. Mahaney would preach and preach and preach is, look, if you're under discipline or, or we're in the process of investigating you to try to deal with these sins, this is a redemptive work. And he's right. It's a redemptive work. It's not fun, but it's redemptive. And you don't leave covenant life. You, you're expected to stay there and learn and hear and trust your, your elders. But the moment the scrutiny is turned on him, he ultimately says, the best thing for me and my family is we're going to leave. And again, I have no doubt it was for some, some idea that I'm in a unique situation. I'm that very big yeah. public person. So I'm going to leave this church. I'm going to join up with a, another church. And now I'm, I'm safe. I'm, I'm out from underneath that, that church and its scrutiny. That, that's just hypocrisy. Um, he was a mentor also of Mark Driscoll. And he was a defender of Mark Driscoll, even as Mark Driscoll was showing all of the folly that Mark was doing. And so I, I think that I think that there again you have a man stepping away and and behind him comes this big cloud of questions with regard to certain aspects of his life. And then Tulian, well, he's just an incredibly terrible story. Oh. Uh, if people don't know who he, who he was, he was a pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, which used to be under the pastor of D. James Kennedy. It was a mega church. Uh, he's related to Billy Graham. That was his one of his claims to fame. He was the grandson, or is the grandson. And around 2015 or 16, it comes out that he is also a serial adulterer. Uh, he was having affairs 
while publishing books like One Way Love, Glorious Ruin, and Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And during that time, he's posting articles and being read and, and held up as a man who is a godly man and a man who we should respect. And people are listening to him by the droves. But the whole time with that, he's also growing in this theological problem called hypergrace, uh, where it's so heavy on the grace that it does not involve true, genuine obedience. Um, and this is the actually the controversy that was creating problems that caused him to have to step away from the Gospel Coalition, yet people didn't know that. But then we find out that his wife separates from him, and then we find out that the adultery is coming out, and then another adultery, and another adulterous relationship, and finally a fourth one. In fact, if you look at the timeline, he is cheating on the woman he's cheating on his wife with, and all the while preaching about the magnificent love of God that saves us by grace. Um, so he resigns. Uh, he ends up joining the staff of Willow Creek, in Illinois. Everybody is now celebrating his recovery. Let's not judge him. He's a sinner just mm -hmm. like us. Isn't God's grace great? But in reality, he was still having multiple affairs. And so he ends up getting fired from even Willow Creek, which is in its own set of problems right now. So here, here's his words he later wrote of that time. He says, first my marriage, then my, he's talking about what he lost. He says, first my marriage, then my position at the church, and those, with those two losses came a thousand other losses, the loss of close friendships, the loss of financial stability, the loss of purpose, the loss of confidence in God's goodness, the loss of hope, the loss of joy, the loss of opportunity, the loss of life as I knew it. Life went from feeling like a fairy tale to feeling like a violent tragedy. Notice everything he says there is about him, his losses, his bad luck, his despair. Not a single word about his loss of integrity. Not a word about his his adulteries upon adulteries. Nope, it's just a, a, a life of tragedy that he is somehow a victim of. And then on his personal webpage that he still has, it says this of Tullian. It says, when you see his biography, Tullian is a husband a father, an author, a speaker, a sinner, a saint who longs to see broken people encounter God's boundless love. Isn't that sweet? But again, we also find missing from this, oh yeah, I'm also a serial liar, an adulterer, and teacher of licentiousness, contrary to the clear teaching of Scripture. And so we have a whole ministry, supposedly, that's based upon the unfaithful, upon unfaithfulness and how, somehow that means that we get to celebrate God's grace. Because I can be absolutely unfaithful, and yet somehow I am the recipient of God's grace. In contradistinction to what Paul says, right, in 1 Corinthians 6, do not be deceived. An adulterer will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and this is not a man who did it once. This is a man who has done it repeatedly. And yet he's still out there publicly doing it. You can. In fact, I, I checked this out. Apparently, for about 10 to 20 grand, you can hire him to be your speaker. That's his speaking fee. That's pretty sweet. I, I, I don't Currently, know how you get in on that. Um, you know, I've never been offered a thousand bucks. So then we, we can look at other people since I'm ranting. Uh, Mark Driscoll. Uh, this is a guy who was protected oh, by a cadre of spiritual leaders for a long time. And during that time, he's becoming more and more and more abusive. Uh, he, he actually was writing and 
talking about sexuality in the marriage in some of the most graphic ways. And during that whole time, it only later comes out that that's all messed up. His own marriage was sexually all messed up. And, and you're like, dude, what, what, are you, what are you doing? And ultimately for him, the wheels came off the bus. Did I ever tell you that we got a letter from Mars Hill? They wanted to buy our church? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, obviously. I mean, they wanted to buy our church. They wanted, they were in the big business of buying up churches and turning them into campuses. And they, the letter literally said, we want to buy your church. And you literally have to, you guys have to be willing to set, set basically turn over all assets, land and property of, of everything over to us. And in turn, we promise you that we will immediately double your uh, congregation. congregation, and we will give you relevant, awesome messages and blah, blah, blah. I was so offended when I got it, but that was their method, that we're just going to be everywhere. We're going to be Mars Hill will be the church. Yeah. Okay. Um, if, you've, if people who are listening have never studied it, the rise and fall of that church is something that you should study, uh, especially if you want to church plant, because he started out with, you, you actually read his book, The Confessions of a Reformationary or something like that, right? Uh, yeah, a radical reformation. Oh, that's or right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there he talks about when it was just this little tiny church plant, and then it turned <clears throat> into this huge thing, and everyone was like, "That's the way we got to do it," and then it all collapsed in. And I still meet with people and interact with people who were either on staff or were greatly but badly affected by him. So what's he do? He goes and redefines himself in Arizona. He's now disavowing almost all of his prior teaching. So now he says things like Calvinism is garbage. Uh, he shows a very bad grasp of historical theology. He trashes people who love Reformed theology. They love to read, read the Reformers as people who have daddy issues. He's like, look, these people are boys who have daddy issues, and that's why they glom onto these dead men uh, from from the past. And all of this is just a bunch of garbage. It's just blah, blah, blah. Again, he's not dealing with his reputation. This is a man who's plagiarized his materials for his books, and yet people are still listening to him, downloading his sermons, everything else. Then there's a guy that a lot of people don't know, but I know. His name was Tom Chantry. Uh, he was a son of another pastor who is well-known in the Reformed Baptist world, uh, he was up and coming. He was a rising star in the Reformed Baptist world. He was he was pastoring up in Milwaukee. He was getting onto all the key blogs. He was starting to get his name out there, and he was definitely on the rise. Unfortunately, he just literally got sentenced to 24 years with no parole for molestation of multiple counts of molestation and abuse of children. And it's like, what is going on here? Then... We got our friend James McDonald down in Chicago. That all started to fall apart around 2013, where he starts disciplining leaders, just like Mark Driscoll did. They were buddies. Um, in fact, do you remember the video where they showed up, him and Mark Driscoll showed up unannounced and uninvited at the Shepherds Conference? And then they tried to turn it into a big deal when, in fact, the security for the, uh, the, the church were really kind to them. But like, look, you can't do it. But it was a big promo thing. It was yeah. all just a setup. And so here he and his buddy Mark Driscoll are doing that. But meanwhile, he's disciplining leaders who were standing against him at his church. And so he's infamous. He helps do that elephant room where supposedly all these celebrity pastors, uh, Furtick was there, uh, would gather to sharpen each other even though 
they were from diverse doctrinal positions. So this was going to be this great moment. But listen to some of the names in that. You had James McDonald. He's gone. Mark Driscoll. He should be gone. Steve Furtick. We don't even know where he, what planet he's on. David Platt. Mart, Matt Chandler. Greg Laurie. Perry Noble. T.D. Jakes. David Platt is the only guy I know that's still standing with any kind of true respectability. Um, Perry Noble, he was fired for consistent drunkenness, and now he's divorced his wife. But guess what? He just started a new church that's heavily attended called the Second Chance Church. Isn't that nice? Oh, yeah. Um, Furtick, he continues this downward spiral into everything but sound doctrine. T.D. Jakes was already a heretic. He was a modalist. when Vadi Bachman, in fact, publicly criticized the elephant room for putting him on, he got punished. So uh, Vadi was actually supposed to be preaching at a men's conference for McDonald's church. And when he showed up to go and preach, he got informed that they had canceled him and they yeah. escorted him back to the airport and said, go home. Wow. Oh, oh that's gosh. classy. That's how you handle that. Wow. Now you got Matt Chandler, a man I've really enjoyed over the years, but he's playing around with social justice movement, in, yeah, and, no and every day it seems like he gets more woke by the moment. So now he's up there on the Martin Luther King conference, and he's telling people of his church, if you don't like what I'm teaching, leave. I don't want you. And it's like, what has happened to you? And then Greg Laurie, he's of the Calvary Chapel fame. He goes down this road of ecumenism. He's inviting anyone and everyone who has a big name, that celebrity pastor, to his conference. So back in 2016, he's actually tipping his hat to Roman Catholics. So all of that, you have McDonald and Driscoll, their buddies. Uh, He was, again, McDonald's was one of Driscoll's support pastors. Uh, He was supposed to be helping them with his soul care. He actually took church funds to the tune of $50,000 and gave it to Driscoll to help him plant his new church where he was reinventing himself. But now we find out that James was a man of incredible anger. He used physical threats. In fact, there's even an investigation that he was trying to hire a hitman. Mm. And you're like, this oh, is, yeah. this is, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm talking about this, but I still can't believe I'm talking about that. This is a guy who left his church, was fired from his church, and he left them in $42 million in debt. But he, he, was, he was like God there. His radio show's gone now. He's got every kind of eagle, uh, legal issue flowing down, and, and, and everything is harmed. The, think of the number of people harmed by that man. So what, what's my point? Behind all of this is this mindset of the celebrity pastor and, and so in here, I, I, I don't want to sound like a whiny man um, because I'm not, and you're not, we're not celebrity pastors. You would agree with that, right? Say something. I am not a celebrity pastor. Thank you. I agree with you. You are not celebrity, nor am I. But I, so I don't want to come across like I'm whining because I want to be one. But back in 2012, a guy named Carl Truman, a theologian and a professor, um, he basically rebuked everybody. He was actually on the stage with a panel, and he rebuked all the uh, celebrity pastors there. Um, they all had to clap because what he was saying was right, but he paid for it later. Um, but uh, he just pointed out the obvious, that faithfulness as a pastor is the key issue, not your perceived success. And so at the end of Paul's life, I mean, he told Timothy, now Paul's sitting in a prison ready to die, and he tells Timothy to find simple, ordinary men in chapter 2 of uh, 2 Timothy. 
these are simple, ordinary men who are in the church, but they're faithful. And he says, teach them. He doesn't tell them, go out and find some really charismatic guys who are type A personalities who can draw in all the people and make something big. He, had, he never talks about getting your brand and getting it out there. But somehow in 2012 and now, the, well, he says that in 2012 and now the same X number of guys are the ones speaking at all the conferences. And it's worth noting that he's never been invited back to the gospel together for the gospel as a speaker. Um, and so I, I just, I became weary several years ago about hearing people talk about these man crushes they had for some pastor. And I don't think that people realize the massive, massive temptation that is put on pastors to sign book deals and get on that conference circuit. I mean, it pays well and it makes you feel good because everyone's coming there to listen to you. And I think too many men planting churches today are still following that idea that they need to create up a brand and then push it. And, and in my mind, all I ever think about, and it's, it truly is something that's been on my heart for years, is what happened to just faithfully, quietly, and consistently holding forth the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's all. Just being patient and giving good pastoral exposition of the Bible to God's people. This is what, uh, this is what uh, Truman wrote. He said, I hate to bang the same old drum that I always bang at this point. But lay people need to understand that there's, a big, there's big money involved. In some of the high-profile cases of guys who survive long after they should not have survived because they are no longer of good reputation, some of those cases connect to money. It's as simple as that. Every time I say that, that I get emails from people saying, well, give me an example. He says, well, it's hard, but just open your eyes. Just open your eyes and look at the level at which some of these guys are living at. We're not talking of huge millions and millions of dollars. Unfortunately, for some of them, they are, though. But we're talking of hundreds of thousands of dollars. In our world, we're talking of significant sums of money that are attached to particular names that become brands. I assume that I will be totally ignored on this. I would remind listeners that pretty much everything I have said about the celebrity culture and evangelicalism and pretty much everybody I've called out in the last decade, I have been proved to be right, even though you all ignored me. That's fine. The whole big money Uber conference circuit depends on big names and the pressure on the one hand to write blog posts about child abuse and then to tweet stuff protecting people who have been pulled into those kinds of scandals. That's huge. It's huge because it plays to the gallery on the one hand that you look cared for and concerned. But when it comes down to what we call brass tacks, you're not really doing the evangelical movement any favors. I think the problem in a lot of evangelicalism now is the money has gotten so big from a lot of these peripheral organizations that they have become laws unto themselves. And the blowback on the child abuse thing is that names become too big. They do become indispensable to the economy of evangelicalism. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. That points to the optics of a lot of this as well. I'm tired of reading statements coming out from churches and organizations where there has been child abuse, where you get two or three lines of throat clearing at the start. And then they say, well, we're, we're very sad that X, Y, and Z's lives were totally ruined by sexual abuse that we should have taken steps to deal with. And then you get 36 pages of how the devil is using this to destroy some good ministry or some good man's ministry. The optics on that is, is absolutely abominable. 
This has done incalculable damage to ordinary Christians, not only those who have been abused, but those who, quite frankly, get sick of the cover-ups and sick of the self-serving rhetoric at the top. I can understand why people drift away from the Reformed faith on this score, and that's why I think the leaders need to take more responsibility. We're not trying to score cheap points here. We're trying to make the point that our faith is being damaged by the need to preserve certain organizations and certain ministries. That's a problem. He, he wrote that in 2016, and it's only gotten worse. Let me, let me bring this to my point. There's a constant, consistent call in the New Testament for us to watch over our souls and not merely start well, but to finish well. So if you're still listening to this little rant, just hear some passages. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, what kind of witnesses? The kind that ran the race faithfully to the end of faith. This cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted, not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. That's what you say to a man like Mark Driscoll. That's what you say to a man like Tullian. Look, you have not, whatever you think you're struggling with, Joshua Harris, you haven't, you haven't done it to the point that you're blood is being shed. You fix your eyes on Christ. You just shut up. Stop worrying about your brand. Stop worrying about your happiness and run that race that's set before you. You've got to buy into that. You have to believe it because you're telling that to your people from the pulpit. You know, what's ironic about that passage too is you, you quote that thing from Driscoll where he says that these are people with daddy issues who are looking to dead men. Right, but oh, the writer oh, wow, of the Hebrews. A good point. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, well, he's referencing chapter eleven, which is all these dead people who have died for the faith. That's a really good point. And yet he, I mean, yeah, he dogs on that. Well, but it's biblical. Yeah. In fact, I'll show another one in Hebrews in a second. Here's another thing Paul says in First Corinthians nine twenty three to uh, down to the end of that chapter. He says. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Why? So that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Fascinating statement there. Um, do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. Why? So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. There's a debate over what is meant by not be disqualified. I think it, it's clear, though, that he's referencing salvation uh, in the whole context. That he understands that you don't get to claim Christ but not run the race. 
You don't get to start the race and then say, I got a stomach cramp. I'm going to step off here. But praise God for God's yeah. ins, uh, you know, amazing grace. <laughs> I'm yeah. in. Um, no, you, you run that race and you bring yourself into submission to your Lord. And there's more to be said about that on the nature of what persevering as a saint means. But he, he says, I, no, this is not a joke. I won't allow myself to be disqualified because I'm taking the shortcut. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, when you look at the list of the men I just spoke about, think about how many of them are found right there. And instead of repenting and shutting their mouths and just pulling back and becoming a faithful member of a church under the teaching of faithful men and just living out a life of repenting, they instead work their brand. And they and they say, come, and you can, for X thousands of dollars, I'll come and speak, and I'll keep writing my books, and I'll talk to you about the great, marvelous grace of God. It's wrong. And then I would say to a lot of the younger guys, um, just because I'm on the back end of my ministry, uh, that that they they have to remember that the pastor teacher that office is a, an incredibly dangerous office. Uh, and why? Well, again, I'm, this is not whining, but the church often ignores the heart of their pastors. In fact, I would I'm not asking you guys, but. Everyone who's just listening, ask yourself, when was the last time you acquired how your pastor truly was doing? Mm-hmm. When was the last time that you actually wondered on a Sunday that you came in a bad mood, that your pastor yeah. has, what's he carrying? Totally. What burdens does he have? Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it stuns me how I'll uh, have a person who complains that, well, you haven't called me lately, pastor. And it's like, Ugh. you've never called me. Yeah. <laughs> but but somehow, well, that's your job. Yet we're you paying it all you. together. And, and, and the assumption yeah. is that you do have it all together. Right. And so if you're not careful, you begin to lie to yourself and you'll get up in the pulpit and you'll put the smile on yeah. and you'll sell them a lie. And, and, and it's deadly. It's deadly to that pastor's soul. And it's deadly to his family's soul. Um, but it's noteworthy that Paul gives these words to Timothy, and and they're shocking. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. He's talking salvation there. Yeah. He's not just talking about a successful ministry. But what, what breaks my heart there is he assumes that no one else will really pay attention to Timothy. He's, he, he knows it. I mean, Paul's stick, stuck in a prison ready to die. And everyone, he says, has abandoned him. Yeah. Well, in Second Timothy, here's it's first. But he, he, he's telling Timothy, look, you're going to have to look after your heart because nobody else will. It's something he has to do. And this is what pastors don't remember. Um, and so he puts the responsibility of doctrinal fidelity on, on the responsibility of Timothy. That's your job. Stay faithful to it. And finally, he says, if he perseveres in these two things of watching over his soul and and being faithful to his doctrine, he will ensure salvation, not just for him, but now he says to everyone who's under his care. And if if any pastor here listening can let that sink into their soul for just a second, then then they should fear for the men I just discussed. 
and what's, what, what's going on. But it also should be, I, I would argue, a plea to church members to pray and love their pastors, to watch over their souls. Come alongside them because it sucks. It's a hard job. Yeah. You, you, I mean, my livelihood, I remember talking to elders years ago, and we were facing a, a crisis in the church, and some people were leaving, and, and it was necessary, but it was hard. And I was expressing my concern, and, and one just said, you know, I, I just really feel you're being selfish. And I, I looked at the guy, and I said, can you name one time that a person ever left the church because of you, that you're the man that's being named publicly as yeah. why they have to leave because you're such a bad person? And, of course, he couldn't. I said, look, if, if, if this church dies and if it folds, You'll just go on with your life. You'll find another church because you're employed outside at another place. You, it doesn't harm you in that way. I said, you'll lose friends and relationships. I said, I feed my family from this church. Yeah. My family assumes every week that we'll get a paycheck and I can pay the bills and put clothes on them. I said, so you bet it's it's hitting me hard. And, and that's where the temptation for pastors to play yeah. uh, start. And so here's that passage I was going to tell you, uh, Matt. Um, in Hebrews 13, 7, he says, remember those who led you. That's a command, by the way. He says, I command you to remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Now, what's interesting here is that the author there is probably not talking about pastors who are alive. What he's referencing are is the, the pastors who have now lived their life, served these people, and died. And, and he says, look at the end of their lives. Look at, look at the result. That's what he means by the result of their conduct. Right, right. This is a man who's now lived out publicly preaching, teaching, privately admonishing, counseling, praying with you, praying for you, chasing after you, all the things a pastor does that people don't necessarily realize. Um, and, and now he's gone. He's done. And you should think about that, man. You should think about those dead guys and consider their conduct. And then he says, and then imitate them. Imitate that. But instead you have Mark Driscoll mocking those of the Reformed faith who follow these old dead guys. Anyone can start well. Anyone can start well. But those who finish the race are not that common. That's what's hard. Um, it, 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 all I would say to anyone listening to this is be very slow to lift a man up as your example. Don't have man crushes on a pastor because it's not worth it and it's not wise. Instead, find men who are laboring in the shadows yeah. while you talk about the awesome sermon you heard from the latest celebrity pastor. I, 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 I got so tired. There was a couple people in our church years ago who had come up to me and said, you ever listen to the sermon John Piper preached on that passage? And I'd say, no, oh, yada, he really dealt with that well. <laughs> and I said, are you saying I didn't? Well, no, it was fine, but you really should listen to John Piper. And I said, thanks. And I'm like, wow. But that kind of thing is like a, a sword in the heart of men who, yeah. well, you know, yeah, you know, you stay up. You've until labored. To, You've prayed over these people. Well, it's, it's not even that. It's, it's those ideas of like waking up. You, you're already discovering this when it's, it's Saturday and you're not happy with the sermon you, <laughs> you oh, produce. Sure, and all yeah. of a sudden you find yourself rewriting things. Um, and, and the times where you're just 
you know, when the person dies. I mean, you have to be there for that family. You need yeah. to care for them. The funeral's always on a Saturday. Yeah. You know, your whole week has just been thrown to uh, to the shredder. But the church is still assuming that there will be a, yeah. a sound sermon that Sunday. And yeah. you're like, I don't know where I'm going to find the time to do this and be faithful. That's where that temptation, I'll go and see what John Piper wrote and see if I can rework yeah. it. Yeah. it. You can't do it. Uh, there are men, countless men that... No one will ever acknowledge who are faithful men who feed the sheep. Um, and meanwhile, we're exalting these men to their harm and to the harm of the church. So for me, it was just a rant. Look, watch over our souls. Watch over the souls of these pastors. Stop chasing these celebrity pastors. They're just men. And look at the people who have finished well. Those are the ones you want to imitate. Anyone else is still on that journey. They're still on that race. Um, and we don't know if they'll be disqualified. We'll only know that on the back end.